0: Welcome to The Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Maslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This
1: episode is sponsored by Ava Jane's Kitchen Kalima Sea Salt, this salt harvested from the ancient Colima salt flats in Mexico is super delicious, super crunchy, and free of ocean-borne microplastics. Tastes great on everything from steak to eggs to water to coffee. I personally use it in all my meals and between meals for a bit of a pick-me-up. You just go like this. Very good. And with every purchase, you'll be supporting the show and the solid that work tirelessly to bring you this delicious salt. Check out CarnivoreCastSalt.com, all one word. That's Carnivore Cast Salt. Get your first bag of Kalima Sea Salt absolutely free. Only pay for shipping. Nicole Laurent at Mental Health Keto is an experienced licensed mental health counselor who is passionate about reducing psychiatric and neurological symptoms with powerful dietary interventions. After founding her own profound health experience with dietary change involving therapeutic carbohydrate restriction, she began to become interested in nutritional therapy for neurological disorders and mental illness. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Yeah, really excited to have you on. Um, as I was saying before we got started, I'm very interested in uh, the mental effects of diet, um, particularly ketogenic and, and uh, carnivore diets. Um, so very excited for this discussion. Um, I would love to just start with kind of your story um, and, and how you um, kind of found this this way of improving your health uh, with this way of eating and, and how yeah. you got here.
2: Yeah, so I um I had I developed a chronic pain syndrome in graduate school, um and it was uh, spondylosis, cervical stuff in my neck, and also trigeminal neuralgia, which is very painful, um and it also ended up causing like chronic chronic daily migraines, like nonstop, um and it was super hard, and um went to a lot of doctors. Um, and eventually they're like, you're going to have to go on pain meds because, you know, there's really no other way to control this, you know, did all the physical therapy, all the, all the different things. Um, and, and I was re- I remember crying in the office because I was actually quite terrified to go on pain meds and they reassured me and reassured me that no, it's not going to be a problem. Eventually you'll be able to possibly titrate, you'll titrate off these. Like if you, if you don't need these anymore, we can get you off these. There's no problem. And I was like, Okay. So I did that. um, And I was on them for many, many years. And then I did my own research and found a, um, a neurostimulator surgery that I could get to reprogram that. So that's where you put a, there's a battery kind of down in your body and a line that goes up your spine and it kind of reprograms those nerves. So I I got that done, uh, but again, it was something I had to find. I had to find an alternative to the pain medications. Um, and quality of life on pain medications is not great. Like you don't feel well when you're before your dose. Uh, and and I was someone who probably because I have a family history of addiction and stuff. I was I was habituating to it really quickly. so I was on I like this little woman on this ginormous dose of morphine for most of graduate school. I don't know how I did it, but I got all A's so there. Um, and wow. so yeah, I don't know if I did that. but um so so after the neurostimulator, I was like, I don't I'm, I don't need these pain meds anymore. I'm not in pain anymore. like it, it did fantastic things for me. But then it was time to get off the pain meds and they could not get me off the pain meds. They would try different bridge medications that would fail, that would blow up my liver enzymes that made them nervous. They'd take me back off. They would give me doses of it, and then they didn't take. And three days later, I would be in the emergency room like, I'm really sick. I don't know what's going on. And they're like, oh, your bridge medication did not work. So I was really stuck. So there was, uh, finally, they did get me on a bridge medication, and for people who have had this history, you know that bridge medication can be harder to get off than heroin. Like it's it's worse than the actual medications that they bridge you with, quite frankly. Um, and I could not get down off of this certain point. So my quality of life looked like I would go see clients for three hours a day, I lived nearby, I would drive home with flu symptoms. Like literally feeling like I was getting like sick because I needed my next dose. And I would lay down with my cat and I would take a nap with while these medications would work. And then I would feel better. I would eat something and then I would go back to work for three hours. And that my whole life had to exist around this stupid medication schedule. We would go on vacation, you know, and it was just, it was a really, it sucked. It was awful. And finally, my husband got a new job somewhere. We had to move. I wasn't gonna have access to my prescriber. My prescriber was worried that I wouldn't be able to get access to these medications. And he said, look, there's this guy with this protocol. It's, it's, um, it's kind of, you know, clinically, he throws these medications together and he's been able to get people off of it. So I did that. I did this uh, $3,000 detox protocol that insurance wouldn't pay for, Which is fine. I was, you know, loved the idea that I could even get off at all, but it was awful. I, I can't, I cannot describe how every cell in my body thought I was like, I thought I was dying. I was sure I was dying. Like it was really bad. So that was awful. And I did not enjoy that. And (laughs) after that, and and I think it was cumulative of, you know, there is a cost to being on pain medicines and there's a cost to being on psychiatric medicines over time. They're very nutrient depleting, they disrupt hormones, I, I believe they disrupt a brain metabolism in many different ways. And I was even before the big detox, the big final detox, I was starting to have cognitive symptoms. Um, you know, therapists run copays, right? We have to look at the credit card numbers to put them in at home or whatever in our office. And I couldn't keep a, more than one number in my head at a time. And this is a difference because when I started graduate school, I was one of those weirdos that could look at a page, and like visualize it and see what paragraph that thing was that I wanted to recall. Right. So it was a huge discrepancy. Um, and then you know there was there was a time when um, oh this is yucky to talk about. There was a time when s- some people came in my office, and I had, uh, this this one person came in my office and. I didn't remember that i had met her she wasn't a client she was a parent of a client but she looked at me she's like nicole do you not remember me we met like a couple weeks ago and i was like i get i flushed just thinking about how embarrassed i was and then after she made the connection for me of whose parent she was but you know and i was thinking my god i'm gonna have to like retire like i you know and i was doing okay work and good work but really good therapy work requires an exquisite amount of memory of someone's story and details. And I was, I was doing good therapy work from, from kind of, uh, schemas of like, this is happening. And so this, so I was doing, I was doing okay work, but I was thinking, man, if this gets much worse, I'm not going to be able to do my, do my thing. Um, but then after that detox, my brain was just, um, wow. My I could not function. I could not function. I had, when I look back now at how I was after that detox, I met criteria for stage one Alzheimer's. It was so severe. Any thought I had was immediately out of my mouth because my frontal lobe didn't have any control. I mean, I didn't say mean or terrible things, but I would say stupid things, you know. Um, And I, um, I was just having a horrible time. I couldn't read. Could not you know, and again, there's a lot of reading in graduate school, right? This is a huge difference. So I couldn't read. Um, I began to use, to find materials that were easier. The shows I watched were easier and lighter, like just everything. Um, I couldn't read. I had trouble learning. I couldn't remember what was for dinner, even though my husband would tell me like four times a day It was bad. Um, And so that got a little bit better, but not very much better. And then, you know, because I couldn't read anymore, I was kind of listening to podcasts. And during that time, and I came across um, some, some keto podcasts, and someone was talking about ketogenic diets for, for brains and Alzheimer's. Um, And I perked up, you know, and then I kept listening to different podcasts about ketogenic diets and I had to listen to like 50 of them because I couldn't learn anything hardly. So I had to have that constant like repetition. Um, And then I tried it. And the first month I fumbled a bit, um, which I think everybody does, but I would get little parts of a little bit of energy in my brain. I'd be like, "Oh, this feels good. And then it would go away. You know, like I couldn't figure out how to keep a sustained level going. And then I figured it out and then the lights came back on the lights. I don't know how that's the only way I can kind of explain it. Um, I had exponentially better cognitive function fairly quickly. Uh, I had a couple other chronic pain owies, you know, going on that went away after about a month of, of sustained kind of ketosis. Um, and it, it just kept getting better and better and the the thing about my mood that i noticed was that you know i am a mental health therapist i know all the ways to regulate my mood like i got dbt skills i got cbt skills i've got mindfulness skills i know all the different tricks and i would use them you know um to you know i was good at using them i used them often without even thinking about using them but that was a lot of, that was a lot of work I was doing to regulate my mood that I didn't even realize I didn't even need to do. And once, once I got that shift in the neurotransmitters or whatever, you know, magic kind of went on there. I was like, I am chill. I am chill. There's nothing to be angry. Like there was no, there was no like, oh, I got to unload the dishwasher. I'm so overwhelmed. Like there was none of that anymore. It was like, ah, it's a dishwasher. It's all good. You know, you start when you put the things away. It just completely shifts. Um, And I was like, wow, that, you know, I I was not cl- a clinically anxious human. I was just, you know, like what we would consider a pretty well-functioning human that way. But that was a huge difference. And then I started thinking about it, you know, like I would sit across some clients who were just constantly overwhelmed, full of anxiety, all this stuff. And here I am sitting on this therapy and I know it works really well. And I know it's profound and I know that it could help the cognitive symptoms they're having because of their untreated diabetes. You know, I know all this stuff and I just, it got so uncomfortable because ethically, ethically I don't think you can sit on that and stay in your lane and not tell people about it who are suffering. And so, um, I would sneak it in there, you know, Hey, you might want to check out this video. Like I just couldn't, but I was, I was really nervous because, um, you know, I didn't want to lose my license. That was a few years ago before all this kind of new research has come out about it. Um, and it seemed, it was seemed very fringe and, um, And so then uh, I kept moving along and I kept seeing improvements in my clients who were willing to do it. Some were not. Some are like, this is, you know, I take the pill and I come to therapy and I take the pill and I come to therapy. And I do that for the rest of my life because I have this mental health diagnosis. And even if I don't feel like I'm getting better, this is my future. And so you you try to say, hey, you could try this other thing. It's got some effects that are like better than medication, and they just they get really distressed by, them. <laughs> they get really upset by that. Oh God, no! And so, um, so, but I get it because it seems crazy that a diet could make you feel so much better than some kind of really valid antidepressant, right? That that's been extra studied and people use, and this is what we use. But for the ones that were willing and curious and jumped on board. I would see amazing things. And I would see that when they did this diet and they improved how their brain functions and how they feel, we could do so much better therapy. Like that's where the good meat deep therapy comes. Because think about it. If your neurotransmitters are all out of balance and you are overwhelmed by the dishwasher, how in the world are we going to approach trauma, right? Why are they even being sent to me for that purpose when their functioning is already so low? So therapy requires some functioning to some degree, like some of the some of them, right? They're supportive therapy and that's very valid and that's very wonderful. Um, and I'm good at that, but it's not where I shine. Like I shine with like the CBT and the DBT with the worksheets, and the, we're gonna figure out this and we're gonna think this out. And um, and so a lot of people couldn't do that with me to to very good effect, but once their brain energy improved and their brain chemistry improved. we were able to do great work. And then I went to a training with Georgia Eid and I saw all these other so there wasn't other therapists in there. I'm kind of weird that way of being a therapist into this but there was all these prescribers, all these nurse practitioners and all of these doctors and nurses that were doing this and weren't afraid of losing their license and I was like, oh, I can totally do this. And then I just took off and I made the blog and I did all the things. And But it, it really helped me to see that there were other professionals that were doing it and, and felt good about it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Newtopia and their Collagenius to help energize your brain and body. It combines four mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi, as well as collagen and Peruvian cocoa. It's an easy powder to mix with your water or add to a hot drink like coffee or tea. Newtopia offers a 365 day money back guarantee that you'll like it. So there's no harm in trying. Go to ww.newtopia N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A dot com slash carnwar genius. That's newtopia slash carnwar genius and use carnwar10 to during checkout to save 10% and support the show. Yeah, that's incredible. And um I connected right away when you started talking about, like, the the battery that hooks up to your brain and needing to go and find that yourself and do your own research. Because it echoes my experience with the healthcare system and I'm sure so many others um, that so often, you know, even finding solutions that your doctor would help you with, let alone the ones that they won't, like nutritional interventions, but even the ones they will Often you have to be proactive and ask and research those things and find out about it, um, which is really tough. But it's just there's no other option from from my perspective, um, other than becoming educated and doing your own research. Um, And uh, so interesting to hear how um, you like slowly trickled it in with with your patients and your practice. Um, What were some of the early sources you found um, when you first? heard about and were experimenting with the ketogenic diet yourself
2: yeah so i'm trying to remember some of the some of the early podcasts so the earlier podcasts were almost always about weight loss right but i remember there was uh i can't remember what podcast it was but uh, dr william cole was on one of them he's like a functional nutri- uh functional doctor that uses ketogenic diet diets and he was like talking about the effects on the brain um and of course, you know, then I trickled into Chris Palmer's work, Georgia Ead's work. Um, and those, those were very inspiring to me because I'm, you know, I'm sitting across from people who are suffering from mental illness as part of my work. Um, and, uh, read, you know, um, yeah, those are just the main people that I think really shaped my work with that.
1: And what, um, what has evolved for you since then? Like, have you, as you've learned more about integrating this with your patients, um, how has your process changed? You know, you, you talked about early on just kind of like hinting at it or sending them a, 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 talk or a podcast to listen to. How do you approach it now with your patients?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I love how I approach it now with my patients. So, as soon, so I take insurance um, still currently. And so I get people from all walks of life, you know, all, all kinds of people. And um, as part of my paperwork in there, I throw in a ketogenic diet, nutritional therapy informed consent. So they're exposed to it right away. I put there that it's optional but I hope, I hope that it piques their interest and they open it up and they're like, what is this? Right. So I sneak it in there. Um, because I want them to know all the ways that they can feel better. And that is one of them. So, and I want them to know that this is something that I work with. And, uh, then usually it comes up in some way, shape or form. We, you know, we talk about the medications they've tried and the different trials of evidence-based therapies they've tried. And, um, I also have, uh, experience in functional nutrition training from Maryland University of Integrative Health and I, I I take a lot of fantastic functional psychiatry um kind of lessons from a place called psychiatry redefined.org is another one so I have a lot of I throw a lot of kind of extra nutritional stuff in there but it often will come up and we talk about it and you know it's like here's what it would look like I tend to transition people down uh within four weeks, right? I like the behavior change stuff that can happen in the first two to three weeks as they learn to track their food. So yeah, I just do the whole enchilada now. I do the macros. I teach them how to use their chronometer. And I find that my uh, many, you know, I've been a therapist for 15 years now that my experience in behavioral health, like learning how to modify behavior, how to break a behavioral chain, how to do a link analysis. So did you not know how to track on the chronometer or did something distract you like, you know, kind of that thing and it brings up self-worth and boundary issues, right? If you are at Thanksgiving and there's someone in your family that you don't think you can say no to for the, you know, the 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 regular ice cream with all the sugar in it and that's therapy work right i mean we work on that we're working on the stuff that you came in for for sure how do you put yourself first how do you prioritize yourself does that make you terribly selfish right whatever you know um so i find that that's how i approach it with my client this is part of the work and we can we can focus on relation because if your brain works And you're not overwhelmed and you're able to regulate your mood, tell me a relationship that you have that doesn't benefit from you taking care of your brain. So I can can sit here with you and I can do the emotion regulation skills training module of dialectical behavior therapy to try to get your mood under control so you don't snap at your wife. But maybe that would be easier to do and you could learn some of those tools a lot easier if we balanced your neurochemistry and reduced your neuroinflammation and helped your oxidative stress and improved your brain energy. And you would, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a no-brainer. I don't know why we do it backwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Having that foundation. Um, it's like what you were talking about earlier with with the all the skills you know for <clears throat> excuse me, improving well-being and regulating mood. Um, it just you found out that so many of them, you didn't even need them um, mm-hmm. or they weren't as necessary when you had that baseline um, yeah. of, of feeling better and, and turning down the noise on, on some of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What types of psychiatric um, ailments do you, do you find you help people with most often? Um, and do you find that uh, diet is, is most effective for?
2: Yeah. So um, I have quite a few people with bipolar disorder in my practice that use ketogenic diets specifically to help uh, symptoms of that. I have some people with treatment resistant depression. Um, I've used it successfully with binge eating disorder, uh, which is not surprising now, looking at some of the literature coming out for that. Um, and I have, I use it a lot with different forms of anxiety. So I've had great success with it with OCD, which is counterintuitive because a lot of people believe as soon as you do anything like this with someone with OCD, they will obsess about it. and It will cause problems, but that is not what I find. I find that as soon as I get them into a good, consistent ketosis, they feel better and there's no obsessions going on with that sort of thing. Um, It gets a lot better. So I've done that with a few people with OCD. Um, And then of course, generalized anxiety disorder, it's very good for. Um, I have seen symptoms improve with PTSD uh using this a chronic PTSD. Um and I'm trying to think who else I have currently. Um and then, you know, depression. So I treatment resistant depression, but also just um, you know, kind of because I because I have a variety of people, you also get just run of the mill kind of low mood type of things. And so it works on that spectrum. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. And do you find that with eating disorders or binge eating disorder specifically, is there any like special considerations or ways that you'd have to be careful in like introducing a new dietary intervention that maybe in some people's minds like creates more restriction when they're already in this kind of bad cycle of control and restriction and binge and restrict? Um, how, do you, how do you think about that and how do you work through that with people?
2: Yeah so in the in the psycho there's a huge and distressing disconnect between the psychology literature on eating disorders and what we actually know about nutritional biochemistry. Um and so so we you know I in my training currently we don't use ketogenic diets on active anorexia, right? We we can on a case-by-case basis do a ketogenic diet on people who have had past episodes of anorexia. And that again is a clinical judgment about whether this person uh, is a good candidate for it still, and whether, you know, what other what other mental health diagnoses, what are the mental health diagnoses they're dealing with now and is this a good intervention for them? And then of course, it's the clinician's responsibility to help monitor that patient. Um, and and be able to you know say hey we're not doing this anymore we're gonna just add this food group back or you know whatever um and and so this non-restriction thing I think I think that if the two siloed siloed knowledge bases were to actually talk with one another I think they would under you know they would understand that there's a problem there um so that was an that was another thing that kind of made me like, oh gosh, I don't want to be loud about this and talk about this because all the eating disorder therapists are going to rip me a new one is, is basically and then they, they do. Like if you go on any kind of counselor Facebook group or whatever, oh God forbid, right? Um it's ugly. It's ugly out there. And nobody wants to talk about like, but yeah, but this person got really well, that's you know, so it's it's just very indoctrinated. Um so so anorexia aside, um, you know anorexia is there is a huge component of malnourishment in anorexia, in which a well formulated ketogenic diet that is very high in micronutrients and cofactors that they need in order to make neurotransmitters is a is a good option, quite frankly, right? If I have an anorexic person and I'm like, just eat, just eat, and I'm giving them goldfish crackers that is not going to fix the the zinc deficiency that they're experiencing that makes them not want to eat. And that's going to to help a lot of the other symptoms about anorexia. So uh, anybody listening, James Greenblatt, MD, Greenblatt with two Ts, has a fantastic book about anorexia. And he doesn't say ketogenic diets, but he does talk about the different nutritional deficiencies and how there needs to be a functional nutrition component to healing with that particular diagnosis. Now when it comes to bulimia and binge eating I see no problem with the restriction of carbohydrates because what that does is it really it completely it completely eliminates the cravings that they get the connection between emotion dysregulation and the dopamine hit they get from the sugar or the highly processed foods I just I think we really need to as a field we really need to stop calling things food that aren't food and saying oh all this needs to be included like we need to i think that i think that there needs to be a standard definition for what nourishment is and what a food is as opposed to a product that's designed directly to affect someone's brain chemistry like that's what i mean they need to talk these two silos really need to talk um, but I, so I don't have any problem having someone restrict with bulimia or, um, uh, binge eating disorder, because I know that that's going to help. Like I just literally, uh, when I, my clients get better all the time, my clients get better. I need people to hear this. My clients get better all the time and leave my practice because they don't need me anymore. Like, I don't think enough therapists get to say that.
1: Yeah. That's awesome
2: so I just finished with this one wonderful person wonderful human and she, with a binge eating disorder and um she just it, she just left my practice she's like I'll text you if I need you you know so I'm like cool that's how I like to go and she was talking about how how is that like Thanksgiving and I didn't want the pie I was like totally okay and I'm like I know I know that's the thing she's like and I'm you know, I intermittent fasted, I wasn't starving, I wasn't like hangry, and I ate the side dishes I brought to Thanksgiving, and I had the turkey, and I had a little bit of gravy, which had some flour in it, but I think that was fine. Like, you know, she did great, and she, she feels free from the cravings, and the food, and her brain neurotransmitters, and her whatever's going on in there, right, we're still figuring that out, but for whatever reason, her mood is better and it's more stable and she's not on this constant up and down you know and so of course it's easier so i'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like oh you can't be doing a ketogenic diet because there is restriction like i'm going to think a little harder about that and i'm going to pay attention to what people's experiences are who do this and people are resoundingly saying that have eating disorders that this is the bomb this this did the trick right? And I'm not going to ignore that. I'm not going to invalidate their experience and be like, oh, well, you just have a new kind of eating disorder now. You're just more effed up than when we started, right? Like, we're not going to do that to them. So that's how I feel about eating disorders. Yeah,
1: I I love that. That's an excellent answer. Um, And it's so cool to hear that you um, are helping so many people and and you're fixing them out of your practice (laughs) or healing them out of your practice. That's really cool. Um, Great. Well, Nicole, um, where do you want to, what are some of your goals with, with your practice, with your, um, Instagram, with all this, what, what are you looking forward to in the future? Yeah,
2: well, I, um, um, I, I'm going to write more on my blog, mentalhealthketo.com. Um, I'm excited. I've got Chris Palmer's brain energy book. I've, I've got a clinical sabbatical for December. I'm going to get catch up on my reading and do some writing. but. So keep checking out mentalhealthketo.com because I'm going to continue to update that with new information as as we kind of uncover what's going on under the hood. And um, I also have an online program because, you know, a lot of getting people started on a ketogenic diet and doing what I do, I say the same things over and over and one to one. And I would like to be able to reach more people. And one of my passions is adding functional nutrition onto a ketogenic diet, because I feel like that just supercharges the heck out of it to have all those extra micronutrients available to upregulate glutathione and to you know fix any kind of nutritional insufficiencies that came into the diet with. And I just enjoy that. Um, And then the functional health coaching component. So I have something called the Brain Fog Recovery Program. And it's called the Brain Fog Recovery Program because brain fog is is an overarching umbrella. And it is also appropriate for certain mood mood disorders um, also. So I, of course, sit with someone and make sure they're functioning well enough for an online type program. But that's something where there's 12 lessons and weekly Q&As that they come in. I'm available. There's a private Facebook group. So I'm working on that. and that's becoming more available. Um, And so that's another way that I really enjoy working with people. And then I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter and I'm on all the different things. So you can find me easily if you need me.
1: Awesome. Well, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on, Nicole. Um, It's been great to speak with you. Really exciting to learn your story and hear your perspective. And I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you enjoy the show, Please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com/carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.